we few, we happy few, we band of brothers. We want them talking trash to Goliath. We want them building a boat and collecting animals. Everybody thinks they're crazy, and they are. I'm your huckleberry. I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, I'd like to take this chance to apologize to absolutely nobody. For he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother. Behold, a pale horse. The man who sat on him was death. And hell followed with him. Can you read, my son? Well, that depends. Can you go fight in the shade? Repent or perish. You know your places. God be with you all. All for all and one for one, then, I guess. Stone Mountain Media. Ale to the King. Hey there, Dave. Howdy. Welcome to another episode of Stone Mountain Media. I'm Sean, coming to you from San Diego on this Lord's Day. Where are you at right now, Dave? I'm in downtown Las Vegas on a blustery night. Downtown Vegas on your Lord's Day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sabbathing in Sin City, baby. Reminded me of a, word, of a word I just read from Calvin. What'd he say? Libidinous. Hey, it's none of your libidinous. <laughs> oh, man. Always <laughs> always laughing at things that you're not supposed to, you're supposed to be mature enough not to laugh at. And Calvin, that's what I do on my Lord's Day. What, uh, what was the first context where we got into libidinous? Uh, I'm guessing it was with Calvin. Calvin uses it when he talks about, uh, he, he uses it a lot with the word lasciviousness when he's talking about uh, the way certain people handle the scriptures. Gotcha. Yeah, I think we were on your front porch. <clears throat> just minding our libidinous. Yeah, just minding our libidinous with some cigars and whiskey. <laughs> anywho. Yeah, anywho. What do you got uh, for me tonight? So recently we did a podcast on forgiveness. Don't forgive, never forget is the name of that for anyone who hasn't checked it out yet. Highly recommend listening to. We've actually gotten a lot of good feedback on that episode, so I'm grateful for that. Um, those sponsorships really seem to be paying off in terms of viewership, so that's good. Praise the Lord. Yeah, but uh, in reading uh, some of Calvin the last couple of days, he was talking a lot about confession. I thought it might be good to hit a little bit on confession in light of talking about forgiveness. Uh, confession is along the same vein, uh, similar conversation. And so uh, I thought we could talk a little bit about confession. Uh, different sects will talk about confession in different ways. Uh, Calvin talks about the Catholics uh, going once a year to the priest to confess all of their sins. So that was the that's the mode that the Catholics that's what Catholics think of when they think of confession. What do you think about that idea out the gate? Confessing your sins once a year to the priest, just heaping them on. Uh, yeah. You know, if if you want to just scrape by as a bare minimum, and if you think you need another mediator between yourself and God, then, uh, you know, I, I'd be going morning and evening to to confess to my mediator between myself and God. You know, I, you know, if you if you want to go the Catholic route and believe that um, 
uh, a man, a sinful man is your mediator to God, um, then you need to spend hours before him and you're still not going to be good enough because you're not going to, um, one, you're not going to remember all your sins. You're not going to confess them all fully. You're not going to confess them all genuinely. You're going to forget and leave some unconfessed and you're confessing to a sinful mediator. And so what good is any of that going to do anyway? I think my, I think the big confession, it becomes one of the key divides between true religion and false religion. Uh, in true religion and Christianity, we understand that we have one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, the perfect right. Lord, the perfect Savior. And through him, we actually, we don't need a Catholic priest. We can actually confess our sins directly to God, pleading the blood of Christ for mercy and forgiveness for their sins and trusting that God is faithful to his son and just in light of the blood shed on the cross to forgive us of all our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's the great hope the great promise of true religion in Christ. That's right. And, you know, one thing you mentioned in there, Dave, uh, we're always going to fail as well. There's another uh, criticism that Calvin gives in talking about what it, the difference between right confession of sin and, and wrong confession of sin. He criticizes the schoolmen who were uh, medieval scholastics and theologians. And uh, one of the things that they were big on was, uh, all sins confessed with a true hatred for them, thoroughly confessing all your sins, turning from them, never to perform them again. And he just basically talks about uh, the impossibility uh, of knowing your own sins. And he uses David as an example, who says in Psalm 19, verse 12, who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back into verse 13. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright and shall be I shall be innocent from the great transgression. So even this, this idea, he basically says, so you want to stack yourself up against David, who in his confession of sin, very, very clearly said uh, there was no way for him to know the depths of his sin. It's a, a misunderstanding, a failure to understand uh really the sinfulness of our own hearts. When we confess our sins to the Lord, we're not, uh, the measurement isn't how, how close can I come to confessing every single sin? Uh, so much as it's, uh, laying our hearts before the Lord, uh, contritely recognizing that we fall, uh, utterly short, indescribably short of his glory and what he deserves. Uh, we're but worms. We deserve nothing. And so we're casting ourselves not in a hope upon, uh, the number of sins we can confess and how close that is to our full number of sins, but casting ourselves rather upon the mercy of God, recognizing plainly that the mercy of God is greater than our sins. Uh, so that's, that's where we, where we lie with, with confession. Yeah. I, I remember I, I, I can't remember how old I was, but I was in a particularly introspective stage of life and I was puzzling through the theological question of, you know, what would happen if I were to die uh, having not confessed some kind of particular sin to God? You know, I wasn't thinking about the need to confess to some priest. But if I were to die having not confessed particular sins to God, what would happen? 
And you're right. The key is to look to the mercy of God found in Christ and trust uh, its sufficiency to cover sin, even if not uh, completely numerically confessed to him. Right. It reminds you know, that reminds me uh, of first John uh, chapter three, verse 20, where John says, if our hearts condemn us, right, if our if we we see we feel our sins heaping up, if we, God has given us a view of uh, a lot of our sin or it feels like he's given us a view of a lot of our sin, if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and knoweth all things. Yeah, that's right. Uh, one thing I wanted to hit on more uh more pointedly i guess with confession as maybe something that is slightly less uh common or so- sometimes confused within evangelicalism is understanding of basically when and how or i guess to whom we must confess sin so you know from the from the catholic view and stemming from that you have uh this necessity to confess to a priest uh, like you said, this uh, mediator other than the, the God man, Christ Jesus, uh, standing in between uh, sinful man and holy God. And so we reject that. Uh, but, you know, James, for example, uh, the book of James, chapter five, verse 16 says, confess your faults one to another. Confess your faults one to another. So I wanted to ask you what you what you think about this verse. Do you think that this means that uh, I've heard certain people, not just Catholics, but Christians make the argument that uh, our sins need to be confessed, not just to God, uh, but to another. What do you what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I, I don't agree with that interpretation. I, I think there's there's a context in which Christians corporately confess, but that doesn't mean we are, you know, in, in good old uh you know, greet your neighbor minute during church fashion. It doesn't mean we're going all around saying all of our sins to everybody in the gathered assembly of church. I really got to change my practice in that time. Then is that what, is this your passive aggressive way of telling me that? Well, it's been a little awkward. I, I got to tell you, I got to tell you when you keep confessing lusting after me, I mean, it just makes me feel a little uncomfortable. It's like, Hey, handle that libidinous. <laughs> yeah. You need, to, you need to dial back your libidinous brother. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know, when before we uh, well, in, in our time together, one thing we do is we confess our sins corporately. And there's a sense in which by doing that publicly, corporately, we are acknowledging one to another that we are sinners and that we have sinned this week, though we're not getting, uh, you know, personally detailed at that corporate level. We're, we're all on our knees together before God, uh, all confessing our own sinfulness together before God. Uh, and, you know, then a, a pastor is leading us in prayer to confess some specifics. So in that sense, we're confessing one to another in a sense, but I know that's not what you mean. Some Protestants want to say, right. James verse means my, my understanding of the verse is that when I sin against a brother, uh, I need to confess my sin to him. And I'll, I'll say this when I, when I sin against him, uh, and, and it, it, uh, ruptures fellowship, right? Cause, uh, <clears throat> right. You know, you're, you're not, you're not talking necessarily bitterness in your heart or yeah, yeah. thought, Hey brother, I've just hated you this last year. I mean, and real quick, you real quick, Dave, yeah, real quick. Let me read a verse, uh, that I had lined up for, for more of, I think what's being, what you're talking about, uh, 
Is this you agreeing with me or disagreeing with me? Totally. Well, so I'm agreeing with you on the I, – I, there's nothing you said I disagree with. I want to say something different about James. And so I want to say uh, – I want to say something about what you're talking about, which I think actually we get from Matthew chapter 5. Yeah. So Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 22. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Yeah. So I, I think what James is saying is in, in line with this idea, that when I sin against a brother, and I'm not talking about that zealot i'm not talking about the brand new christian high school boy zealous for faith and good works don't be talking to all those girls about what you're thinking but you know when you sin against uh when you sin against somebody you go tell them and you seek reconciliation right and really it's this it's this interesting picture too because you have this sacrifice on the altar so really have kind of like the whole ceremony being stopped until you take care of that thing so there's a there's a rift within the within the church body you make that right before you continue on with, you know, what you, what you're trying to offer as a right offering to God. Yeah. And, and, um, if you think this is going to derail too, too far, let me know. But okay, in my mind that connects to the, the Lord's supper and, uh, you know, a lot of times how people fence that even for, yeah, yeah please go ahead. Okay, cool. So, I and I can't recall exactly your position on this, so um, maybe maybe we'll agree, maybe we'll disagree, and let's find out. Uh, you know, some pastor will will fence the table uh, with his words, saying who's welcome, who's not welcome, and a lot of times, the way it's verbally fenced um, <clears throat> makes it sound like if you are a Christian in good standing in this church you may still not be welcome to partake of the supper. And, and I actually want to say, I want to push back against that uh, and say the, the warning you get in Corinthians uh, of someone walking unrepentantly is someone who's going to bring about a disfellowshipping with the body of Christ through unrepentance and, church discipline which then severs you from the table uh for a time so i, I actually don't want to dissuade a christian in good standing uh from coming to the table i don't want to dissuade everyone not in good standing with the church from coming to the table we're in agreement there cool you, anything that you think would be helpful to add to that in connection to the idea of confession uh not at this moment no all right uh, i want to look back over to James. So I actually read, you know, I read the first part of verse 16 from chapter five, which again says, uh, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. That's the, the second half of the verse. So yeah. again, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. And so I think, I think one of the, the, I think the main thing James is communicating there isn't a need to confess all your sins to another person. Uh, in fact, uh, Real quick, reading one more from uh, Ezekiel. 
Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 21, which says simply, But if the wicked will turn from all his sins that he hath committed and keep all my statutes and do that which is lawful and right, he shall surely live, he shall not die. To add anything more than that to what it means uh, to confess your sins, to repent, uh, turn from your sins and walk with God, uh, that's, that's what it means, and it's something that needs to take place between you and God. Uh, so that's, that's what needs to take place. James is not adding an extra layer. So I agree with, with what you added, Dave. Uh, I think Matthew addresses it more clearly. Uh, but certainly if there's a, a, a rift between you and a brother that you've created through your sin, you need to, you need to reconcile with him and make that right. Uh, but I think what James is getting at here is that we have a freedom and a blessing uh, given to us in the body of Christ uh, to seek out a brother uh, to confess our sin to so that he might pray for us because uh, James goes on to say uh, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Uh, it's really good to have a trusted brother or sister in the church uh, to whom you can confess sin so that they might pray for you, hold you accountable, uh, all those kinds of things. And I think it's important to recognize that you're free to choose whoever you want in that uh, because to a degree. So I'm going to qualify that, but you're free to choose whoever you want for that. Now there's wise things to do and unwise things to do. And, and there's still right and wrong. So a, a man should be seeking out a man for these things. A woman should be seeking out a woman for these kind of things. Uh, and then both of them, I think primarily are going to wind up, not that they're bound to, uh, but I think oftentimes they ought. And it's uh, a good idea to uh, go to their pastor with it. Uh, and the reason being, uh, when you're thinking about uh, who should I be confessing a, a sin to, I think Dave helpfully laid out this idea that trying to debunk the idea that uh, if you have a, a wicked thought in your head about someone, it, it could be more damaging to them and to your relationship with them to confess that to them. It's not necessarily a mark of godliness. It could be a mark of foolishness. Uh, but to have a, a brother or sister to confess sin to and to hold you accountable to pray for you is a huge blessing. And a pastor has been, uh, ordained to do that to a higher degree, right? You're re you've recognized, a congregation has recognized in that man an ability to rightly divide the word of truth. And so you want to make sure you're confessing to someone who can rightly divide the word of truth because you want truth applied in light of confession, not falsehood. You don't want flattery. Uh, you certainly don't want false teaching. And so it doesn't have to be a pastor. We're not, we're not Catholic, so you're not, you're not bound to confess to uh, any one man, but you want to be diligent about seeking out someone who's uh, going to be a blessing to you and you're confessing to them, someone who's going to encourage you in truth, hold you accountable to to walk in righteousness, uh, those kind of things. Do you have any thoughts to add on that, Dave? Well, I would say that, you know, thinking of the pastor um, as a man entrusted to shepherd your soul, uh, hopefully he's the kind of guy that if he were to ask you about an area in your life, you would, you would very naturally recognize it to be a positive thing to, you know, be transparent about that area of your life. Cause he, here's sure. and who's been, like you said, dedicated to help get you to the river shore. Uh, so, but yeah, that, that'd be the one thing I would add, you know, hopefully you've got a kind of pastor that, uh, is discharging his duty well to shepherd your soul. That's right. Yeah. But ultimately, yeah. And so ultimately it's, you know, it rests uh, between you and God, but 
uh, it is a special grace and sometimes a very needed grace uh, to have a pastor who you can come to when uh, you're struggling to uh, believe the assurances that scripture gives you. Uh, sometimes you need someone to wash you in those things and to uh, point you to truth and to remind you not to grant absolution uh, as if we could do that ever apart from the grace of God, but to point you to the word because the, the pastor operates authoritatively insofar as he operates under the word. And so points you back to the word and reminds you of the absolution you do have in Christ uh, upon, as you mentioned from first John uh, chapter one, Dave, uh, confessing our sins unto God and, and receiving forgiveness. Amen. So one last, one last thing I wanted to talk about on uh, confession. Uh, what would be your initial thought, or I can give an initial thought if you'd like me to on somebody who would argue that it's, it's actually easier to confess only to God. And so you're kind of, you know, taking the easy way out by only confessing to God and saying you don't have to confess every single sin to a, to a brother or sister. Yeah, I would just want to press in on somebody who's saying that. What do you think? What do you think's actually happening in prayer? Yeah. Are you actually aware of who you're talking to? That's right. What do you think confession in prayer means is it just rattling off some words or is it are you actually uh looking at god and then looking at your falling short of what he requires of you are you agreeing with him in truth at the heart knowing he knows your heart are you agreeing with what you deserve for it are you pleading the blood of christ so uh yeah i'm presuming the fear of the living god in confessing to god not a flippancy. And so I would just want to challenge, you know, what do you, are you, are you actually confessing to God or not? And, uh, and God knows the heart. And so I'm, I'm kind of happy with leaving it there. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. Uh, I think one, you know, in one other thing to look at in terms of this, all this does is I think reinforce the point that you're making from the opposite side, but you look at the fruit of confession within the Roman Catholic church. Now, they confess seemingly, you know, whoever says they're in right standing is going to say that they're confessing all their sins to another man. Right. And and look at the fruit, look at the rampant wickedness within the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, Pope. Yeah. Con confessing your sins to a man uh, means nothing in terms of uh, gaining extra right standing with God, nor does it communicate some extra level of reverence. Uh, Truly, like you said, it, it's a it's a matter of the heart, and we need to come uh, with fear and trembling before uh, the holy, the thrice holy God who lives forever and ever, seated in the heavens, uh, and uh, we should be humbled before Him. And so, confession before Him is uh, that's that's the ultimate throne, uh, any throne of man. If that's higher in your mind, then you need to add that to your list of things to confess, uh, because it is it is the highest throne in all the land. Yep. So with that, I want to uh, take a quick break. Who's our sponsor for today, Dave? Oh, man. Let me dig through my notes really quick. <laughs> our, our sponsor uh, is the uh, Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, they just wanted to speak to all of our thousands of listeners and, and brag about having taken down the Houston Astros. Is, that's also because this is the underdog podcast. This is the underdog podcast, and the Tampa Bay Rays – uh, their entire starting salary put together is less than Mookie Betts. Or no, 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 it's it's like a million dollars more than Mookie Betts' individual player 
right fielder for the Dodgers, his one-year salary. $27 million to like 28 and some change. Take that, Mookie. With yeah. That will be right. And we are back. Hey, speaking of the Rays, they've got this rookie. I think his name is Arena, but I'm not 100% on his name. Anyway, he escaped communist Cuba uh, on a small little, you know, handmade rubbish boat and uh, made it to Mexico. Grew up in Mexico playing soccer. I'm not sure when he transitioned over to baseball, but now he is in the World Series for the Tampa Bay Rays and having one of the best rookie performances in the playoffs in baseball history. Hitting dingers. Hitting dingers. Offensive production. And avoiding getting tagged out at home on crazy plays. Yeah, I'm still not sure what happened there because I missed the game. And then the one highlight I saw, it was just uh, – there was a lot happening there. Couldn't quite track it. Did the, uh, did the catcher go for the tag and lose the ball in the tag? It was basically a quick pivot to see because the guy wasn't even uh, yeah, in wasn't even position close. to be tagged yet. Yeah. But would have been basically forced into a rundown. But he, in twisting, basically turned apparently before he had it in his glove. It looks like it slips out of his glove as he turns. So he basically whips it around his body, whips the ball around his body, Will Smith, the catcher, and uh, the ball rolls back to the backstop. Yeah. Beautiful. Always ball, ball first. Uh, I'm sure you loved Dave Roberts' reaction from the dugout, manager for the Dodgers, because you will fondly remember him from his pinch running days for the Red Sox on your Yankees. <laughs> you remember that, Sugar? I don't. Oh, dude. Dave Roberts would come in and get stolen bases on you. Well, not on me. Yeah, but, you know. Yeah, whatever. You're part of it. You're part of it. You're part of that monster. Whatever. All right. Yeah, yeah. The Rays beat y'all too. I was wondering how, uh, why the Devil Rays paid us so little for the sponsorship, but then I remembered how they're, it's just how they're keeping their salary cap so low. So good on them. Yeah. And they also know that you are a fan of those damn Yankees. <laughs> forgive hey. us. Forgive us. We're not fully sanctified yet, listeners. Thank you for your patience. <laughs> what does our intro say? I apologize for absolutely nothing. Yeah, good. Yeah. Uh, so we talked about confession of sin on the first half here. I thought we could maybe tackle uh, something we've gotten a few questions about, and that is in regards to the second commandment, second out of ten from the Ten Commandments from yeah, obey it. chapter 20. Yeah, obey it. Obey it. Yep. Even in the New Testament? Yep. All right, well, I want to ask a few more questions, and we'll see if I get a little more out of you, okay? Yep. All right, so first thing I'm going to do, because uh, it makes a heck of a lot of sense, is read from Exodus chapter 20. Yeah, it makes sense. So Exodus chapter 20, verse 4 says, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. So it sounds like we should keep his commandments and then receive his blessings to a thousand generations. You dig? <laughs> 
Heard. Heard. We're getting a little more, a little more. Big, big shout out to our listenership there. We we love you, Andre. <laughs> we love you. So what are some of the some of the duties given in the second commandment? I thought it might be helpful to also read from the Westminster Larger Catechism on that, if you will oblige me. Yeah. So you weren't wanting me to answer. You were just going to give the uh, lar- larger catechism. Uh, I figured it's kind of a long answer. You're probably going to give some good stuff from it, or I could just give the whole thing. Uh, yeah, you can give the whole thing. <laughs> the, uh, I mean, the, the long and short of it is, and that was a pun intended for you Presbyterian listeners out there. <laughs> uh, we worship God his way. Yeah. Take, take us away, sugar. The duties required in the second commandment are the receiving, observing, and keeping pure and entire all such religious worship and ordinances as God hath instituted in his word, particularly prayer and thanksgiving in the name of Christ, the reading, preaching, and hearing of the word, the administration and receiving of the sacraments, church government and discipline, the ministry and maintenance thereof, religious fasting, swearing by the name of God, and vowing unto him, as also the disapproving, detesting, opposing all false worship, and according to each one's place and calling, removing it in all monuments of idolatry. And real quick, right off the bat, uh, one thing I really like about the catechisms and thinking through the Ten Commandments so thoroughly the way that uh, the writers of the catechisms and the confession did is it really uh, helps people to understand the, the depth of the Ten Commandments. Sometimes people, uh, I've heard people make the argument when talking about uh, New Covenant theology that uh, Jesus actually expands on the law. So, you know, we, yeah, if you look at it from one side negatively, you know, we don't, we don't obey the 10 commandments per se, but Jesus, you know, look at the list we have, the list we have from Jesus, the list we have have from Paul in Romans one, we have these long lists of sin, most of which are not found in the 10 commandments. And fundamentally that's just a misunderstanding of, of the depth of the 10 commandments, the, the fullness of them. Uh, When we understand them all, both positively and negatively as the confession and catechisms helpfully lay out. We understand that, uh, you know, the, the reality is good luck finding a single sin under the sun that doesn't fall under one of the 10 commandments and in an affair way. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> I won't wait around. <laughs> Got gray hairs and don't want more waiting for you. <laughs> Do you have any, uh, any thoughts on the, the positive end of, what's given in, in the Westminster larger catechism. Yeah. I mean, the, the principle established is that God doesn't leave the worship of him up to our imagination, but prescribes to us how he demands worship and where to give it to him his way. And so it's very helpful that it lays out for us as Christians, the way we're to worship him, uh, in the church. So, sure. Uh, So I have some questions. I try to think of some frequently asked questions that maybe would be helpful for our listeners that they might get from uh, people who are asking them about this. Uh, Do you want me to go through some of those or do you want to hear what the confession has, the catechism rather has to say on what's forbidden in the second commandment and then move from there? Well, um, let me give you a story real quick because I, it kind of started to get into what's forbidden towards the end of what you read. uh, Cause it talks about removing images. Yep. Um, and uh, <clears throat> this is not the story of the big uh, painting of Mary <clears throat> at Planned Parenthood that you did not put your heel through. This is the story of, I think the guy's name was Admiral Phipps. 
and I think this was in the French and Indian War. So I think he was a British admiral. Though, uh, I'll be frank, some of the details I'm blurring. What I do know is that Phipps was in charge of a ship and he was to go up the St. Lawrence River and to help with an attack on Montreal. So he had a, he had a bunch of stuff to shoot from cannons on his ship. And all he had to do was get up the St. Lawrence River and then, you know, give waterside aid to this big assault on Montreal. Phipps had a problem. His, his, uh, his love for God was quite zealous. And so as he went up this river that, uh, you know, was populated by Frenchies and so Catholics, he passed, uh, you know, Catholic grounds after Catholic grounds, just full of images and icons that enraged him for their idolatry. And it enraged him so much that he ordered his men to fire ordinance on these idolatrous statues and images uh, that the name of Christ might not be blasphemed on the St. Lawrence River. So that by the time he got to Montreal, he was out and he couldn't aid uh, in the battle and uh, was nearly court-martialed, though I think he was uh, spared. Wow. Bold move. Yeah. Yeah, he, uh, he said, uh, according to one's place and calling, well, here's my place and calling. Couldn't be plainer. Yeah. <laughs> and another story that remind, it reminds me of it is uh, I worked in Dundee in Scotland and the the next city south from Dundee, uh, not necessarily due south, but if you're just taking the interstate from not the interstate, but if you're taking the highway from Dundee south to Edinburgh. The, the first city you pass through on that trip is Perth. And Perth presently is known for having the jail. So a lot of my friends have spent time in Perth. Uh, but back in the day, Knox preached a sermon there. And he's done with the sermon. And a man stands up in response to the preach word. He picks up some kind of object and chucks it. Uh, you know, if he was American, he could have been a baseball player. Chucks it, smashes the head right off of a Catholic statue. Or I don't know if it was through, if it was through stained glass, or if it was through a, a painting or or a statue. But anyway, he crushes some kind of image, and instead of uh, getting scolded by all the nice old ladies of the church, the, the basically the whole congregation stands up, storms out, and and purges the city of Perth of her idolatrous religious images that had been used to facilitate uh, worship falsely and therefore idolatrously, blasphemously. And it, it was such a ruckus that uh, the military was actually sent in to calm things down in the city. Bold preaching, making bold men. Yeah, much more productive destruction than Antifa could ever do. There's not enough purpose. That's right. Gotta That's have right. that holy zeal to start getting it like that. It is funny. They took down a statue of Jesus or a statue of Mary uh, somewhere. And uh, there was a meme that was put out. Uh, it was just making fun of how they got the right answer. Uh, 
Yeah, you know, you, you know that math test. Somehow yeah. you got the right answer, and you have completely wrong yeah. work in your equations. Yeah, you showed your work, and it is atrocious. But yeah. next time, <laughs> skip showing the work because it would do better to leave a mystery. We were allowed to use this calculator in my calculus class in college that did derivatives and integrals. Yeah, a graphing calculator. Correct. And so the you know, there's the kind of calculator. <laughs> <laughs> the the difficulty was uh, <laughs> showing my work from the the derivative to the right answer that I kept getting. Yeah, there's no there's yeah you you can't be requiring people to show their work if you're allowing them to punch it into the calculator. Well, like, you really need to because it, it's the, all the backbone, all the algebra that matters moving on from Calc 1. It gets you through Calc 1, but if you don't know the algebra moving on, you're kind of in trouble. Well, yeah, then don't use the calculator. Well, that's all I had to do was Calc 1, so it was perfect. Imagine well, yeah. in heaven. Hey, yeah, it's, it's, I'm just saying it's an either or. What do you gotcha. want? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't be caught between two ways. Either, And, you know, you could say, hey, if this is you just getting credit, they're the calculators. And if you actually want to be somebody... You know, uh, we have that's uh, your calculator. Uh, yeah, we have we have a Chinese <laughs> tutor uh, that is more than willing to help you show your work. Calculator, please. Can I do one? Can I do one, please? <laughs> okay, so the sins. Yes, no, thank you. <laughs> the sins forbidden in the second commandment. The sins forbidden in the second commandment are all devising, counseling, commanding, using, and any wise approving any religious worship not instituted by God himself, the making any representation of God of all or of any of the three persons, either inwardly in our mind or outwardly in any kind of image or likeness of any creature whatsoever, all worshiping of it or God in it or by it, the making of any representation of feigned deities and all worship of them or service belonging to them, all superstitious devices corrupting the worship of God, adding to it or taking from it, whether invented and taken up of ourselves or received by tradition from others, though under the title of antiquity, custom, devotion, good intent, or any other pretense whatsoever. Simony, sacrilege, all neglect, contempt, hindering, and opposing the worship and ordinances which God hath appointed. Yeah, this doesn't get into images, but in terms of what's forbidden, uh, superstitious traditions, you know, no matter how revered or honored they may be. Uh, again, going to John Knox, John Knox, when he came back to uh, Britain after being in exile, uh, got a pretty legit preaching post right there in London, uh, right in the heart of, you know, heart of power you know, access to preach to the big dogs of the land. Uh, but he, he could not get along with a Cranmer. He couldn't get along with, with Thomas Cranmer because Cranmer would have congregants kneel in order to receive the elements in the Lord's Supper. And uh, Knox understood this to be a violation of the second commandment and therefore uh, an action, a tradition that, facilitated idolatry and uh you know he obviously didn't pick he didn't win a fight he picked with cranmer and so was uh was actually shipped off to a border town uh i i might have been barrack upon tweed but shipped off to a border town where he you know preached and as i've said before on the podcast 
uh, met his met his wife. So obey the Lord. That's right. Take it seriously. So the, the positions the positions pretty clear. Uh, yeah, we're standing against uh, any images whatsoever of Jesus and, as a subset and, as a subset of the second commandment. No images of Jesus. Right, and and even you know what's one of the things forbidden is any image of uh, any of the persons of the Trinity, and so uh, you know what would you say to someone who said who's you know here reads about the Spirit descending as a dove? Uh, would it be wrong for them to picture the Spirit as a dove? Yes. Clear. Okay. Why? Because you're picturing the per the third person of the Trinity. And that's not that's not something you can comprehend within the image of a dove. Yeah. Well, the the text says like a dove, but it doesn't give you more than that. And so, fu- fundamentally, uh, a, a couple things. One, even with that, where you have much more description, much more visible description than you get of Jesus. You know, you don't have these visible descriptors except for times where he's appearing in ways almost beyond description. Right. Uh, You're speaking of like revelation. Yeah. Or transfiguration, you know, good luck drawing that. Right. But you know, uh, you fundamentally will be drawing a false picture of the Holy spirit that then teaches any number of false ideas about the Holy Spirit and so lead to a false theology proper. And you cannot, uh, you cannot behold, create an animal, behold an image of uh, all three persons or any one person of the Trinity without it necessarily facilitating religious worship. There's no way. That's right. Christian to behold an image of God in a non-worshipful manner. And it's absolutely foolishness to suggest otherwise. And God has expressly in the Ten Commandments forbidden worship from us through images. Therefore, your worship of him through that image is abhorrent. So so Mennonites, no, you, you should not have a dove and an olive branch as your denominational image. God is not pleased with that. Makes sense. Uh, One thing people are probably going to hear a lot or be asked is, uh, you know, they they understand that God, the father cannot be, God is invisible, but uh, Jesus was an actual person. So couldn't we have a picture of him? Wouldn't that be a reasonable thing? Do you agree with the dove thing? 100% agree. I thought it was a great explanation. Okay. Um, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to think of any questions that would be helpful for people in fleshing out uh, this understanding, anything that might trip them up or anything like that. Gotcha. 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 So Jesus was an actual person, right? Yeah. Uh, meaning yeah, yeah. He, in I the sense that he took on flesh Yeah. and uh, he was a human. Yeah. I got an answer. So, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, okay, a couple things. One, it's it's very clear. Uh, it's very clear from God that He does not intend us to draw images of Christ, uh, because He has forbidden the creation of 
images of any person of the Godhead and the son. Yes. A man is a person, namely the son of God. So the second commandment applies. So God doesn't want our production of such images. Uh, Jesus didn't want a production of such images because uh, his apostles did not give us uh, sufficient revelatory material and, and their, their writings, right. Were the writings of Christ through them. You know, they didn't give us material of, of, you know, sufficient description to replicate the image of what they would have had in their mind, having, you know, been his uh, compatriots walked with him. They would have had a, a, uh, they would have been able to see Christ rightly in their mind's eye and did not make it possible for that to be replicated after the apostolic age. So clearly Christ didn't intend for us to produce images of him. And clearly the spirit didn't intend, doesn't intend for us to produce images of Christ because again, uh, he did not inspire the writers of scripture to make that possible beyond inspiring uh, Isaiah to say, that Christ, according to his humanity, wasn't a very good-looking fellow. Um, so we know he wouldn't have looked gay. We know he wouldn't have looked grand. Uh, but but then, again, a, apart from uh, what we have in Revelation and in the Transfiguration, you just don't have uh, descriptive imagery. So, again, all you'd be able to do against the clear will of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit is to make up a picture of Christ conveying false statements about his human appearance and conveying a false idea that it would be possible to divide the natures of, uh, of Christ showing the Son of God uh, with 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 divided natures, you, you basically you can't uh, execute that task without trying to circumvent the hypostatic union, uh, and so you would just be basically making false statements, facilitating false worship, and again, you can't have an image that does anything but uh, it. It's not. The only reason to do that is to teach and lead to worship. And uh, again, we're not supposed to worship that way. And so we're not supposed to have that. And I don't care if it's for your VBS or for your children's Bible uh, or for, and, and I'm the biggest lover of Mel Gibson out there, no homo. But if it's for your passion of the Christ, nada, not good. Yeah, agreed. Uh, a couple quotes from an article that uh, that you compiled, Dave. It's over on the Vedette, or it might be over on our website on Stone Mountain eventually. Yeah, it's not uh, over Stone Mountain yet, but it's right on the Vedette right now. It's titled, A Nefarious Nativity Scene Was Seen. The scene is spelled two different ways in the title. I'll let, you, I'll let the listener figure out that is which up. scene is, is which. That's up? Cool. Uh, Lactantious, is that how you say that? Just listen, man. Uh, they're not going to know. You just have to read it really quick in your mind 
make something sound good in your mind and say it with confidence. Lactantius people... in 250 AD. So these are some church fathers uh, with some quotes regarding uh, the second commandment says, wherefore there is no doubt that there is no religion wheresoever there is an image for seeing religion consists of divine things. Nothing divine is to be found, but in heavenly things, images therefore are void of religion because nothing that is heavenly can be in that which is made of earth. And then Ambrose in 340 AD says, The church knoweth no vain ideas and diverse figures of images, but knoweth the true substance of the Trinity. And Jerome in 350 AD tries to get a little cute, says we worship one image, which is the image of the invisible, omnipotent God. Jesus. That's right. Uh so what if uh, – just a couple more questions here hey, for you. Hey, can I give you a, an Ambrose story real quick? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I can't remember the emperor's name, but so uh, Ambrose was the bishop of Milan, and uh, you know there was some emperor, Roman emperor in Constantinople, and he was a Christian. Uh, but there was some kind of riot that – broke out i heard this from uh, uh a sermon short from doug wilson um a riot broke out in thessalonica and he got really mad so he had his soldiers basically pretend that they were gonna have entertainment for the people in the uh you know uh shoot stadium the the, the local stadium so the town fills up the local stadium and um and then the soldiers kill like 7,000. Just some crazy number. Just slaughter them. Wow. And it was like a predetermined, uh, you know, thing. Because this emperor had, had some an anger issue. Anyway, he goes, he goes to Milan to go to church. And in front of everybody, Ambrose confronts him about his sin. Doesn't let him take communion. And, and excommunicates him from the church. So Ambrose with no sword, no gun, no army excommunicates the most powerful man in the world from the church in front of uh, his own subjects. And, uh, and so the emperor goes along with it is an excommunicant for like eight months, rocks back up after eight months with a bunch of other excommunicants to the church, gets on his face, prostrate before the congregation confesses his sin and is received back into into fellowship <laughs> wow yeah big big jesus flex right there <laughs> uh hey so i haven't asked this question yet you've answered it in a roundabout way well really you've answered it very straightforwardly but i'm gonna need a, an even more straightforward right to the point answer on this because this is this is the pressing question yeah uh, Put aside all your your biases. Put aside your scriptural references. What uh, do you do with the Jesus Storybook Bible? What do you do with it? Yeah, it's got an image of Jesus, but it's a great Bible. Uh, are you asking me, or is a listener asking me? Uh, a, a hypothetical uh, evangelical who's super into the Jesus Storybook Bible is asking you. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing in that Bible that is so profound. That Have you, you read it? To... Yeah. Yeah, I used to not 
I used to not believe in the Ten Commandments, so of course I read that thing. All right, fine, continue. If you've read it, you can continue. Yeah, there's nothing in that Bible so profound that you couldn't communicate that yourself to your kid. Yeah, I'm struggling to believe that you read it, if that's your opinion. Yeah. So, I mean, you could do a number of things with it, um, but because the Jesus looks so gay in the Jesus story but Bible, I would uh, clearly give it then the appropriate treatment and burn it. He at least needs a haircut. Goodness gracious. Well, yeah, he's got like my facial hair and then like this girly perm. Just burn that thing. <laughs> hey, any uh, any two CV thoughts before uh, I close this out? Any two CV thoughts yet? Yeah, don't. Any other thoughts? Any closing remarks? Uh, well, yeah, I mean. Uh, I can go couple... first if you really want to close it out. No, no, no. I got it. A couple things. One, uh, as Owen said, don't dismay. You're not missing out on something that you ought to have or you're not missing out on something to facilitate your sweet fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You are indwelt by the Spirit, Christian, and so have the benefit of living in the age of, uh, of faith. And so look upon Christ daily with the eyes of faith. Behold him daily in the scriptures. Commune with him daily in prayer. Discern his body as you assemble with the saints and, and behold his body, the members of the church, and look upon him physically in the Lord's Supper as you eat his flesh and drink his blood. Amen. Yeah, we worship what we behold. And so we we don't make images because we don't want to behold images and worship images. We want to worship the true God. Uh, Christianity is a, a religion all about the word. Uh, Christianity is all about the word. We, we, we preach the word. We pray the word. We sing the word. Uh, we eat the word in the, in the Lord's Supper. Uh, as David said, we live now by faith and not by sight. A day is coming when we will behold Christ face to face. And when we do, we'll be made like him for we'll see him as he is. Uh, but this is, uh, this is the age of faith. We're to live uh, by faith. We're to worship based on the word. We're to behold uh, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But the face of Jesus Christ painted for us in scripture is in reference namely to his, his person and his work, that he is uh, the God man, uh, true God of true God, truly God and truly man, and that he's accomplished for us redemption, lived a perfect life, died a sinner's death, did not stay in the grave, but conquered sin and death for us, rose from the dead, gives us resurrection life in his resurrection, and has ascended to the Father. Uh, so live by faith, not by sight. Confess your sins to God. Uh, pray for good brothers and sisters, and pray for the brothers and sisters in your life. Uh, be that uh, righteous man or woman whose prayers availeth much, uh, who serves as a blessing to uh those in your church body who uh, need accountability for sin, uh, who need people walking with them day to day, uh, seeking to live out this life uh, by faith. So with that, this has been another episode of Stone Mountain Media. Until next time, vaya con Dios.
afar.